Welcome to Forecast, the Foreshadow podcast, seeking glimpses of heaven on earth through conversations about people's lives and work. This season, our theme is Songs of Ascents, Pilgrimage and Worship, exploring the journeys we make in search of wholeness in God. I'm Josh, and with me today is our co-host, Will. We will review the four latest episodes of the season. Yeah, unfortunately, Jarrell was unable to join us today, but he is contributing in other ways. Uh, you probably heard the intro to the podcast sound a little bit different today, but he's going to be doing some other uh, recordings that you'll hear peppered in throughout this episode, we think maybe, or at the end of it. Regardless, you will also hear Jarrell's uh, soothing uh, tones as well during this, uh, this review episode. But in the meantime, Josh and I will dialogue about the review that we have for these four episodes. Yes. Um, but before we do that, and before we summarize the episodes, just wanted to take a moment to kind of celebrate this, um, this milestone, Will, with you, um, and partially with Jarrell for the past few episodes as well. This being our 50th episode, that's quite a large number. And I, I'm really surprised. I mean, when we first started this, I, I, I mean, even the foreshadow, thinking about 50 episodes, I'm not sure if I could have thought that far in advance. But um, looking back, we've had a lot of really rich conversations. I, I know I have grown I, and learned a lot and continue to. Um, and and so and, and enjoying these explorations that we have. Um, so So this is a really great milestone for us, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, pretty, yeah, pretty wild to think. Fifty episodes. We uh, as as the first guest, I guess, and then and then immediate uh, co-host. Uh, I can say, yeah, it, it does not seem like that. I think this the the pace of this show is so gradual. I think we really try to lean into the conversations that we have for people. Nothing ever feels hurried or rushed. Um, there's definitely been some. Uh, some opportunities to provide other kinds of content that you've graced us with as well. Explorations with Thomas Merton and other sorts of reflections that, so it's not been a steady stream of interviews per se, but yeah, I've, I've totally echo your sentiments. I've certainly grown from this experience, learned a lot, which is part of the, the point of doing this. This is in and of itself a spiritual discipline or some sort of exercise that we engage in to learn and grow ourselves. This is not just us, hopefully not pontificating or, or presenting information. This is definitely uh, uh, effective, at least for me, speaking for myself, mm. uh, in as much as it is um, just a thing to do, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. And I think there's different layers to it because um, like you, Jarrell and I are friends. And so it's a, it's a way for me, it's not only yeah. this, but one of the benefits, aside benefits, is has been a way to um, rekindle and stay in touch with um, with old friends, you guys, as well as some of the guests that I've spoken to. Um, but then, as you say, yes, it's also um, it challenges our. What, for me, it challenges my thinking. It causes me to reflect more deeply, um, uh, hearing from other people's experiences. Um, I mean, maybe if I, I I might listen to other I do listen to other podcasts and I learn a lot from them, um, but but perhaps um, there's a more personal engagement um, being a co-host 
um, I guess I get to uh, think of some questions uh, as a co-host, and we, we get to brainstorm on the themes we want to explore. So this year being pilgrimage and worship, last year being vocation, and the previous year, uh, the first year being um, the kingdom of God. And we'll, I, I, I hope we will talk a little bit about next year's theme as well in this episode. But we have a little bit of more say into the kinds of things we explore. Uh, also, conversations are such a, an important tool of growth, I think um, th what makes this different is that we're having this conversation knowing that other people are going to be listening to it. And so I think that adds an interesting dynamic to what we're doing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. I think you said it best. Well, let's um, let's uh, summarize the, the episodes. Would you like to summarize the, the episode 46? Sure, yeah. Uh, in episode 46, I spoke to my friend Matt Bickett. He is a church musician, uh, organist, and scholar, presently leaning much more into the scholar domain, uh, studying uh, at the Yale Institute of Sacred Music, but he's on exchange right now in Germany. I think Tübingen is how you say where he is. Um, Matt Bickett uh, explores the roots of his family and wider Appalachian culture through uh, visiting the grave sites of his ancestors in eastern Kentucky in that episode. He also connects this journey with the, his theological study of St. Gregory of Nyssa, who taught that perfection is possible only through God's grace and requires an ascent into God and at the same time a descent into mystery. The metaphor there, the picture was the climbing up a sand dune where the, the floor is constantly eroding underneath you. Matt describes the contributions uh, Appalachian culture can make for oppressed communities in other locations around the world as well. And we talked a little bit about cultivating something of an Appalachian hermeneutic. Mm -hmm. And the next episode was Engaging the Heart, Linda McCulloch Moore and Pilgrimage. And so she is an author and a mentor, and she read her poem Asylum. And then um, we discussed it a little bit, reflecting on the choices and circumstances that have brought us to the present moment. And then she describes her pilgrimage to Northumbria in the United Kingdom and the importance of connecting with the landscape and fellow pilgrims. And for her, the spiritual journey is not only about mental ascent to doctrines, but mainly about engaging one's heart with God, other people, the world, and oneself. And she says that her faith depends on connection with her local church through small groups and with God through prayer. Yeah. Um, after that, we heard an episode from Jarrell. Uh, Jarrell interviewed James Bishop. Uh, he is a musician, and James Bishop describes his journey five years ago of walking over half of the Pacific Crest Trail in California, at least the California portion. Uh, most of his time uh, was spent in solitude, during which he emptied his thoughts and concluded that meaning in life only comes from the quality of one's relationships with others, the world, oneself, and God. The greatest of all that remains is love. Who would have thought? Anyway, this five-month, 1,400-mile hike. It was funny in that episode how they talked about translating to kilometers but <laughs> in <laughs> Britain. It's, it's the mile. Yeah, it is commonly used here, yeah. Ha <laughs> Gotcha, guys. Anyway, uh, everybody knows miles, I guess, at least in these two countries. Um, this five-month, 1,400-mile hike inspired a collection of songs that he is releasing. And on this episode, he performs one of those songs called Wrecking My Body. 
about the danger of being stuck in his mind and how that has impacted his participation in society and the church. Yes, and and I enjoyed it was great to listen to his song and as it has been on several other episodes listening to the the music made by the guests. Absolutely. And finally, the most recent episode called Gritty Grace, Alan Altaney and Pilgrimage. Um Alan Altaney is a religion professor and he describes his um, as a young man, his wrestling with doubt, panic, and anxiety, but how that ultimately led him to a deep faith. Then he reads his poem called From Here to Eternity and discusses the relationship between the sacred and the secular in his life and writing. And then he describes how writers such as Flannery O'Connor, Thomas Merton, and Fyodor Dostoevsky have strengthened and nourished him. So let's, yeah, let's go more deeply now into each episode. Um, I'll just I'll start off with saying that I really found that your conversation with Matt was very rich and um I used I, I believe I used the word when I was describing it to you gritty uh, mm. as well um and I liked how it um integrated so many different um I guess disciplines uh so there was theology in his discussion of Gr- St Gregory of Nyssa there was music culture sociology when he was describing his um, background in the App- in the Appalachian Mountains in Kentucky, and also um, geography and the landscape and how um, how the landscape is being abused and cherished by different groups of people. Yeah. Um, so I I really appreciated that, and that was um, I think um, one of the one of the unique strengths of that episode is how it drew, drew upon so many different disciplines. But um, because I think with um, w- um, with acad- academia, it can be at least the stereotype is that it can be um, tempting to just focus on the mind and the theory. But I think I thought your conversation did a great job of of also grounding that. Yeah, thanks. I I think part of the the challenge, like you said, in having conversations, especially with people. I mean, Matt is a brilliant young man. I mean, he is he is really a sharp dude and knows a lot about a lot of things and has really leaned into understanding those things deeply and richly and without pretense though, too, not, not necessarily authoritatively, but man, if there's a guy who, who definitely knows some stuff, it is, it is Matt. Um, I, yeah, I was really taken by the way in which he kind of has found ways to have a, a, a more integrated experience of things because that is the danger of sort of the ivory tower isolated academic experience is, is that everything becomes so cerebral and you really get outside of your body. But this, this idea of visiting physical grave sites of understanding the topography, sort of being in the topography in the space, being amongst people doing this sort of what we call like uh This is a contested term in academic space, but when you talk about like ethnography, you talk about doing research amongst people. There's a there's a thing that gets talked about called autoethnography, which to some is a misnomer because every ethnographic experience necessarily involves a subject object relationship of which you might be the you know, you have you have some stake in both of those in that exchange and and, and at both places. So to imagine that you are some sort of isolated observer, like anthropologists of old might've done where you look in Mm -hmm. and, you know, you do your little lab experiments on or whatever, you know, not lab experiments, but you, you kind of can detach yourself from engagement or presence. That's an impossibility. I think Matt does a really good job of, of demonstrating the impossibility of detachment 
from what you're observing, what you're engaging with, and kind of really owns that in a cool way and still has these really rich wells and sources, like you said, these cross-disciplinary sources with which then to process that information or that engagement or that experience. Mm. So yeah, I was really um, uh, taken by that, really motivated mm -hmm. by that. And, and at the time I was working on my own uh, master's thesis project and found a lot of what he said sort of, you know, in some ways different from what I was doing, but still some of the language that he used, some of the things were immediately helpful to me in, in that way. So again, uh, the ways in which our, our guests are helping us individually process stuff or, or think through things is, is, is very remarkable. So yeah, I, that was such a treat, such a privilege to get to coordinate that, you know, kind of across the world with him. Uh, and, and very thankful that he spent time with us sharing a little bit about his story and excited to see where it goes next. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, well, you mentioned uh, things that we can learn from from our, some of our guests. And so something that really that I found valuable um, theologically in what he was saying that, that connected with some of my own um, interests was his discussion of St. Gregory of Nyssa. And um, the I didn't really know too much about um, St. Gregory of Nyssa's uh, description of of um perfection and mm -hmm. and his um his view, his understanding of perfection um and i know that uh, matt only really touched upon it a little bit but it it, it really kind of wet my appetite to learn more about that and so and um i had heard however about um this this understanding of perfection as a, a, an endless spiral of striving towards god and depending on god's grace but i didn't know that it was connected with saint greg of nyssa and i liked the um the his description of descent into mystery. And so while we are ascending into God and growing deeper in perfection, it's also at the same time, a descent into mystery. And, um, and I, I think that kind of counterbalances the, at least the metaphor of ascent as our theme is Psalms of ascents is thinking about it, not only in terms of going up, uh, such as going up a mountain or up into the sky, but it's also a, a direction going down deeper and, um, and um, I guess that connects with um, other writers that I that I cherish who write about um, how our journey into God is is a journey going deeper into ourselves, um, such as um, Metropolitan Anthony Bloom writes about that in some of his works on prayer mm -hmm. and um, and how the kingdom of God is within us. And so we need to it's it's imagining ourselves going deeper within ourselves um, to to come upon this door that we knock on and 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 that's the, only the beginning of our journey in God, and so it just made me think of um, uh, think of this theme of ascents in a different way, thinking about songs of descents perhaps, mm. and and some of the the poetry and the writing that we are publishing on on the on the uh, the literary side of this project on the Foreshadow magazine, um, I think we could characterize them as songs of descents in the sense that. They also are delving deeper into the mystery, into the, the pain, the sorrow, perhaps, but also finding grace in that depth. Yeah, I think I think it's the 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 songs, the, the songs and songs of ascent. In, in many ways are this aspirational sort of God focused thing. And and again, orient us toward that, the, the idea of then getting gritty, like you said, the word that's come up now mm -hmm. a couple of times, mm -hmm. but getting gritty. He, Matt mentioned uh, Tyler Childress as this sort of long, violent history record, this sort of gritty bluegrass record that really deals with uh, p political dimensions and systemic racism 
historic things like that. These very real, tragic or you know, corporeal experienced things that have happened in, in, in real space and time do get us back down on the ground, deep into the ground, the mountains sort of being removed, this sort of uh, terraforming stuff that's going on. All of these things that we talked about in that uh, podcast, yeah, you do experience that Nissian paradox of up and down, you know, this finding that. And maybe maybe part of what is revealed in there is this notion when we talk about descending into mystery, I think mystery, not to demystify mystery, because that would be a, a, a fool's project, but there's this this idea of part of the mystery of uh, of the experience or the, the pilgrimage and Christian uh, faith in general might might be reconciling the the nastiness and grittiness of life with this sort of aspirational picture of perfection, whatever that is. And then coming to terms with the fact that 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 life and what we have and what we will have is actually some intermingling of the two, you know what I mean? And and it's not just that the aspirational stuff is purely headspace or imagined, but part of our vocation to go back a season, I guess, is to help um, is to help in the manifestation of that imagined reality while still dealing with the reality that we have and that intermingling and commingling continues to make things new and what comes from that who knows maybe there is some uh perfect uh uh no suffering teleological you know thing in the future space time where that's true uh, i don't know you know that's <laughs> I, i'm jury's out for me but i i am becoming increasingly comfortable with the idea of that intermingling mm. And that paradox. Uh, right, and this yeah. episode really helped with that, I think. Yes, yeah. And I think um, that leads to our next season, our theme for the next season, because because I think a lot of these past four episodes have descri- described that um, uh, kind of union between, we can say, maybe, maybe the mind and the body or um, heaven and earth or um, the gritty and the perhaps the profound i'm not sure the the right word there but our, our the, so, so our theme for next year our, our team has decided and for our listeners this will be the first time uh, we've announced this publicly is um uh kind of follows through that and and the title is uh in the image in the flesh creation and incarnation and so um thinking about how we are made in the image of god and we are also made as uh, physical beings. Um, we're not just um, soul, disembodied souls or, or brains, but we are uh, bodily beings. And um, and at the heart of this, I think is and what we're saying is the incarnation, how um, how God became a human, took on flesh, and has um, united the spiritual with the physical and, um, and divinity with humanity. And um, and so uh, so I think that's. As we discuss, discuss these episodes, I think this I think this theme will come up in, in the, the other episodes as well of of this um, grittiness and um, inter- integration of mind and body and soul and heart. Absolutely. If the, and if the listeners caught on to things by at this point, we start getting a glimpse of where we might go next based upon the conversations that we're having, and so we we start seeing these recurrent themes, and that's going to happen in this sort of space right we're going to see some tried and true themes come up 
But I think we really try to lean into those things. There's like key words and we're not like sitting there and doing like some sort of data analysis of appearances of words. But but there is this this sense, a spirit, if you will, uh, that sort of uh, is is palpable and noticeable. And that's where we start to lean. So, again, we didn't come to this uh, um, not well the, the reflection. We did come to this with this in mind, but. This season, we had no idea what was going to come of this next, but this is definitely what's emerged after talking about pilgrimage. It does make sense that you have to then talk about the body. You know, you have to talk about being corporeal, incarnated sort of things, you know. Uh, and I love, I know we're going to get to it in a moment, but I love some of what our most uh, recent guest, Alan Altony, had to say about some of that and where God is and how God is, who God is. But anyways, we'll get to that in a moment. Before we do that, we should definitely talk about our episode with Linda McCullough. Yes. Yeah. So, Josh, this is an episode that you uh, recorded. Uh, talk a little bit about your experiences uh, of talking with Linda. I know she said a couple of uh, interesting things that I remember, but what are some things that stood out to you? Well, I guess one thing is reading her poem and hearing her read her poem and then discussing it. Uh, the poem, I, as I said in the interview, I had read it many times. Um, and each time gave me a little more insight, but actually speaking to her about the poem. And by the way, we are planning to publish the poem on Foreshadow in a few weeks time. So um, listeners will be able to read it soon. Um, but for now, you'll just have to go back to the episode and listen to it. But um, the poem is a very deep poem and hearing her describe the inspiration behind it and the mystery of it really helped me to understand it better. And mm. um, and although I'm still um, I'm still kind of living with the poem and 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 trying to understand it. Uh, not not that uh, not that it's not clear, but trying to understand its depths. Um, I think the images really stand out to me. And this this um, question of um, did you intend to be here now? And so thinking about um, thinking about where we are now and um, what brought us here. And and so she invites the readers to also think about where we are today and um, perhaps places we would not have chosen to be if we had the choice, but we find ourselves in this place. And um, I, I guess um, in, in a very personal way, um, I, if I think about the, the twists and turns that my own life has taken, um, I was born, you know, in, in um, the Philippines. I grew up in California. I'm now living in the United Kingdom. There's a real jagged line in how I got to where I am today. And, um, and and so and you know i can i can i can wonder what what brought me here what what kind of uh uh path am i on and um but then i think that uh that I, sometimes if i think that my situation is unique i reflect that actually a lot of people find themselves on similar tra trajectories that a lot of the people i know um have had such windy twists and turns in their lives um and and you described this in your episode, your your first conversation with me, Will, um, mm. the various places you've been from um, from Chula, Vi Chula Vista to Hawaii to, um, to to Glasgow and and to and then to Florida and now Georgia and and so this is uh, this has come up in some of our previous conversations too, um, but maybe it's just this question of where is at least how I would how I would frame it is. Um, uh, where is God's hand at work in in the twists and turns of my life? And um, 
And so although although her poem doesn't um, ask that question specifically, um, it, it definitely inspires that question. But hmm. um, but yeah, that's one thing. Um, so, and then, of course, at the heart of her, uh, my conversation with her was um, was this this aspect of engaging the heart. And so how um, how important it is in our faith that we are connecting our heart with it. And and this goes back to our theme for next year as well, that um, that uh, our faith is not just about mental doctrines, but it's it's about our participation in our relationship with God and with others in the world. And she gave an example of um, um, falling in love with someone during her pilgrimage yeah, as a really, a really um, a strong example of, of that, but also falling in love with the landscape um, and, and connecting with the landscape. Um, and it just made me think as well about why do people go on pilgrimages? It's not usually because they, um, there's this doctrine that says, if you go on a pilgrimage, you will receive um, this. I mean, sh- certainly that's a part of it, but I think there's, there is a deeper engagement where people go on pilgrimage in search for something in search of this uh, um, answer or in search of help or in search of um, connection with God or in search of just discovering themselves. There's this deeper yearning for something that I think motivates people to move um, because a lot of these pilgrimages are many miles long. They take, you'd have to sometimes fly across the world or tr- travel by foot as in the case of um our ne- guest that we'll discuss next time uh, soon, James Bishop, he walked walking fourteen hundred miles. Yeah. Um, there's something there that's propelling that more than just a uh, more than just a doctrine. It's something that's ignited. There's something that's ignited the pilgrim, and so I think just uh, th- I think that's a really important insight into as we're discussing pilgrimages. What ignites us? What moves us from one place to another in search of something? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, I, well, speaking of which then, I think no better time than now to, to go ahead and transition to talk about uh, Mr. Bishop and our, our pal Jarrell who interviewed him. Uh, Jarrell, hopefully again, we'll pepper in some of Jarrell's commentary throughout this episode. So after or before perhaps our uh, little reflections, we'll get to hear something from him. Uh, but yeah, again, with, with uh, James Bishop, also another fellow uh, Loma alum, um, a bit younger than us, but uh, very talented guy. I've had to actually, I've, I've had the chance and privilege to get to work with James on a couple things and and interface with him a bit over the years. Even after I was out of college, coming back into town to do to do some things here or there for the school. But <clears throat> all to say, uh, yeah, really, really struck with his disposition. And I think what, like you're saying, what's that spark I, for him? It, it's it it didn't really sound like there was some real burning desire. I think it's something he'd wanted to do for a long time. This particular thing, the Pacific crest trail, cause he's been an outdoors guy as we, we, uh, we learned in the episode for, for his whole life. That was such a, a activity that he really was fond of and, and a sort of f- familial thing. It sounded like, and yet at the same time, um, it didn't sound like he had some major, um, catalyzing moment like where he needed to go find himself i think he sort of you know sort of laughed that off i think what did happen though and and is necessarily a byproduct of being by yourself for most of that time is 
in that solitude and is in that space having these sort of encounters and these epiphanies and maybe these moments i've also loved how we talked about sort of having just clarity and openness and not being overrun with with thoughts at a certain point um that there's some sort of peace that you can find there and another sort of routine that maybe is long lasting and and permeates into the rest of of his life in, in a profound way that that you just you just wouldn't have if you hadn't been there and done that. It's sort of that 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 idea that you have to have done something. You kind of have to have had your hands on it or experienced it yourself to fully appreciate. To literally walk a mile in someone else's shoes, you can't. Pilgrimage is an intentioned thing. So, however and wherever and in what capacity you're going to do pilgrimage, it is it does require that intentionality, and the rewards of that intentionality are maybe not necessarily what you will have anticipated at the front end, which is, I'm, I'm sure, and, and, and what I picked up from James is not necessarily what he anticipated happening from this experience or what he even how he anticipated the experience going or how long it was going to last. All to say, he did still seem to glean a good amount from it. And and some of that was that there wasn't that much uh, necessarily to to do, but that reconciling of faith, that reconcile, that unpicking, that quote, uh, deconstruction, if we want to call it that, that's not necessarily a helpful or applicable term to everybody. But then to have this, uh, this sense and peace and, and this shedding of the, all the unnecessary baggage, I think you kind of talked about literally some of the unnecessary baggage that he had, but then yes. some of that cognitive and, and epistemological fancy word, uh, or, you know, uh, learned and inherited doctrinal back, all of that stuff to kind of leave that behind and shed that as you go. Um, I know there's a famous scene in a film that I'm not remembering the name of, so this is almost useless to mention. I've not even seen the film. I just know the scene because it gets brought up sometimes. Okay. It's a Robert De Niro film from, I think, the late 70s. He's a conquistador. He's going into the jungle and he's working with... Oh, yes. I think it's called The Mission. The Mission, yes. And he ha he's trying to climb up a waterfall with all of his armor on. Okay, and he, and he can't bring it with him. Basically, okay. it's like he, okay. he has to leave. He has to leave his soldiering behind. Is the metaphor mm. in that scene? And he has to shed his armor. He's not going to make it up this climb if he doesn't do mm. that. And I think James experienced. It sounds like something similar to that. And then to be able to then rechannel that into this, you know, really profound. Uh, again, so such I, I describe his music making as so well intentioned. It's very. Um, Precision can mean different things. I think in different, you know, in, in, in music language, you can talk about being precise. I think there's a certain precision and again, intentionality to the rawness of his sound and to the, to how he wants to articulate something that is just well conveyed in tune in arrangement in, in all of those things. And so again, hats off to him again, something cool to learn from these people who are younger than us, right? Not significantly, but you know, uh, and old enough where the beauty of this podcast, I think, is that spectrum of people mm -hmm. and ages. And James is, is absolutely uh, no exception to that rule. A, a lot of wisdom exuding from uh, this fellow and, and his experiences uh, on the trail. And then moving beyond the trail, I think, is so important. How do you keep going from there? And I think he really touched on that well, too. And that's captured in some of this long music project that's taken mm -hmm. a while to develop. Yeah, yeah. And before we go on to the the last one, to give him enough time to discuss the last one, just just really quick, want to add to what you're saying there about, first of all, how he had this music project to kind of mark his journey and to yeah. 
yeah. um, do honor to his journey. And um, as musicians, I think we both understand that is if we experience something, we maybe at least I think we can both understand the desire to make something um, that reflects on that and then carries it forward in a different way. Um, yeah. But then also, and so in a way, even making something is a is a kind of like a pilgrimage in the sense that um, it's it's marking it's marking something just as a pilgrimage itself can mark something. So, so when you mentioned um, his motivations, that got me thinking. And he didn't say this, but um, he had just, or he might have hinted to this. He had just finished uh, university, and mm-hmm. so I, I got the. I, I'm wondering if he wanted to mark his, this new transition from university to whatever comes next. And I think he did mention something like that through mm-hmm. this walk. And, um, and I know that I, I know that for myself, I also went on several journeys that marked um, the time after yeah. university, after graduate school, just something in me felt like I needed to mark it somehow by going traveling somewhere. And, um, and so a pilgrimage that just, I guess something interesting I hadn't thought about is how a pilgrimage can sometimes be a marker for um a, a change or a turning point in one's life um and maybe yeah. a better one at that too you know just to riff on that a little bit because i think sometimes when you have a totem some sort of marker especially like an object uh, like a, a, a material artifact that that kind of is a stagnant fixed in time thing but something like a poem or a song or an experience is so much more dynamic and and alive and sort of timeless um, it, it might take on new meaning in time, or it might, it might, you might reflect on it differently. Uh, not that you couldn't do that with like a singular totem or thing, but it is, mm-hmm. it, it is a totem in some sense, but it's a much more multidimensional totem and yeah, Ebenezer, yeah. right? You know, to, like yeah. to, to mark, to mark the experience and to, to go back to remember, it is a great, again, just sort of archive in some ways, but a, a very, uh, yeah, music, especially in songwriting, song where you have word and music kind of intertwined is such a dynamic marker because it, it, it might remind you very specifically of where you were and how you felt, but it might also inspire and gender a different response in the creator. And definitely is, is you know, the death of the author sort of idea, Roland Bart, right, that the interpreter gets to decide, the hearer gets to decide what a thing means. Uh, it doesn't matter what you might have intended it to mean. It's really up to, <laughs> it's really up to whom I mean, this is getting into postmodernism. Sorry, my brain's still there, I guess, a little bit. But, you know, uh, th- that our work is out there. And when you leave something like this behind, someone who listens to the song down the road may have no idea that James went on the, <laughs> you know, the Pacific Crest Trail for 1400 miles and had these experiences, but might have an experience of the song that sort of, again, engenders or inspires all sorts of different imaginings and and thoughts and experiences that have nothing to do with that but are just as valid and just as important in that moment and inspire some or ignite some other sort of pilgrimage yes yes and right well i think we could say a lot more about that but let's let's go on to um but i i I, because because of this rich um unpacking of, of 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 this i guess this idea that hadn't that has kind of growing organically out of James's um, experience, but let's um, for the la- let's now go on to Alan Altani, um, and so him in a way he's a very different maybe in some ways the inverse of James in the sense that he's um, he describes a pilgrimage of going nowhere and how he is just in his room, uh, his cell as he describes it, yeah. and and learning everything he needs to learn in in his cell, and um, um, but he also is describing his pilgrimage throughout his life. 
as well, reflecting on his life mm-hmm. and how, and I really liked how he described his, his struggle with um, doubt, panic, and anxiety as manure that although at the time it was, it was something he, he wouldn't have chosen now. Um, he sees that it has, it has fed, it has nourished him in some way and has led yeah. to where he, where he is today. Um, similar to what I was describing earlier is the things that lead us to where we are. Um, and, and so, um, so I really appreciated his openness in describing that and, and, and the wisdom that, um, that that gives to me. And I think to our listeners. Absolutely. Yeah. I, so much of what he said really resonated with me. I, I love that. Yeah. Again, also unlike James, his process seems less of leaving baggage at the door or deconstructing or whatever word is helpful to you, the listener or us. Uh, but it was a project of sort of construction of, of figuring out what to like, what to add sort of from, the, from the get go. It sounded like, you know, he, he'd come from an inherited tradition. It sounded like he grew up Roman Catholic, but having this sort of experience and, and gradual awakening to a, a, a relationship with God, um, and his definitions of God, I thought were just so, again, mis- mysterious comes back to it, this really open and really uh, un- unsettled thing. I love the the the, the atheist the talks about atheism and God being an atheist. I thought that was brilliant. That was just so cool. And and that this manifestation of God in us um, and not a weird, like, again, prescriptive, this is the thing way, but like. There was some mystery in that and this experience of God. And I think there was a lot of little wisdom nuggets that I hope our listeners can go back and listen again. If they got lost in anything there, go back and listen to that again, because I think there's some richness there that uh, is conveyed in this great humility and yet still very like precise and helpful language. And, and, and again, from personal experience, I think there's something to be learned in that, too, that we hear from uh, from Professor Allen um, that his journey is his. It's it's not necessarily going to be true for everybody's, but that there are these like experiences that I think maybe are sort of uh, more cosmically relevant or 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 true for and accessible to lots of people if we might open ourselves to that or calibrate ourselves to think about things in those in those terms. So something I enjoyed, Will, about uh, reading uh, about hearing uh, from Alan was unpacking his poem from here to eternity and yeah. um it's one of those poems that i i can read again and again um because of certain lines that really resonate and um and and something else about my conversation with him that i found inspiring was him saying that he is after writing that one poem um mm, yeah. uh, uh, that that perfect poem um and in relation to our previous discussion about um perfection with your conversation with matt um thinking about perfection as as a journey as a dynamic um growth and ascent into god descent into mystery and um just feeling inspired by alan's search for that uh for that experience of writing that one poem yeah absolutely and yeah it gets back to that idea of this dynamic artifact right or this dynamic totem not artifact is maybe the wrong word that you know you, you like even what you're just saying that you want to sit with that, you want to continue to sort of drink from it or go back to it and let it sort of uh, come to you. And that in a lot of ways, some of what we've talked about these artistic expressions that, that, that you do, then you have an interpretation of it that may be slightly different than what the, uh, the, the, the author intended it speaks to the, the dynamism uh, embedded within 
that thing and and its power and, th- and that that's that's something that i think is again reflective of then I don't know. You can't rate a, a pilgrimage experience or there's no like way to say, oh, you had a good one and you yours clearly wasn't well thought out or intended. But I think the fruit of that labor, the fruit of that endeavor is, is that you might have some sort of reflective piece or some sort of, again, thing that you generate in response that has that kind of power, that has that dynamic to it, that that multidimensionality that is not only important for you to get out, but it, it resonates with people in, in a special way. I think that's the story of good art, of quote, good art yeah. and good songs and all that stuff is that it has that sort of power and, and, yeah. you, and you nail it on the head. And maybe that, that, that poem will, will, will come to Alan one day, but I have a feeling that that's sort of a, sort of a, a tongue in cheek thing almost. Um, even it might be quite serious, but I think it points to that paradox and the impossibility of perfection. You know what I mean? That, you're, when you step into the sand dune, you will not you will not go up. You will not make it. To, I mean, I guess you can make it to the top of sand dunes, but it is a slog. Um, but maybe, yeah, that there's just this weird cycle or circle. And, and that's we can leave that there. Let Jarrell figure it out for us. He's going <laughs> to comment afterwards, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. But let me just add one thing as well. Uh, just sure, inspired sure. by what you're saying, too, is and as the I guess the poet poetry and the editor side of me um something i want to add about alan and as well as linda was hearing about their um process american style or process british style um into writing because um linda said in her conversation with me that she's intentionally leaving her poem kind of open to interpretation i mean there are certain things that um that is there are certain things that you know is rooted in her experience of going to this asylum former asylum and there are certain things that will be there no matter who's reading it but then there's also this openness that she's intentionally um constructing into the poem um for the reader and i hadn't really although although i've I've expected that poets do that i hadn't really heard of a poet actually saying that they're intentionally kind of leaving that open at least not to my memory and then um similarly alan saying that one of the um i guess the strengths of poetry or of a good poet is um, is not only what you write, but in in what you don't write. And mm. so it's thinking about what's um, not spoken and what's not written. And I hadn't really thought of poems in that way before, of not only the words that are there, but what hasn't been said. And why has the author chosen not to say that? Um, yeah, the in, space. The spaces, yeah. And I think that involves... A, um, I guess I'm connecting with this with an article I read recently from from another writer who is writing that um, a good author of fiction um, trusts their reader, and so mm-hmm. so they don't just explain um, give to you know a, a a backlog of information when the reader can already infer those things. Um, there's this relationship that's taking place between the writer and the reader, and that. Uh, and that is expressed through what's spoken and what's unspoken as well. And and, right. and I think that can connect with so many things. Oh too. yeah. Um, and um, and so just thinking about that um, that relationship between the writer and the reader, and 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 how a good writer is is aware of of um, how the reader will interpret or giving them space and the freedom to interpret, and and also um, knowing the reader well enough to know what to say and what not to say. I, I think those things. I hope. Um, will make me a better writer as I, as I try to write poetry and try to apply that in my writing. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it speaks to 
speaks to to not add too much, but and not get too much into like again post structuralism or something like that. But it speaks to this uh, this inherent, I think, subjectivity that our in our sort of day and age and in our cultures we're sort of more I think attuned to and and sensitive to that everyone is having an experience that is it is in some ways unique. There are some definitely macro cultural experiences and ways in which people sort of fall in line and fit the mold and do the thing that you might predict them to do at larger social levels. But, but in reality, you know, we've learned that we, we humanity knows now that our, our minds are complex. Um, our, our, our experiences are diverse and that to honor those things, we need to, um, these art forms, I think, give us a, a, a good, chance and hearing stories like what we do in the, in the process even of this podcast, the pilgrimage of this podcast is honoring that diversity, I think of experience and not, and, and personage people. Um, but it's also, it, it, it points out to some of that points of resonance, that paradoxical sameness and difference that mm. I think exists mm. and, and enables us to really experience that on multiple levels, like you were just sort of saying. So yeah, that's, yeah. that's cool. I love, I love the back and forth or riff off here and yeah. Jarell, you, you really got your hands your hands full with your your additional comments so yes yes <laughs> thank you to my fellow co-hosts for spearheading the bulk of this conversation uh, if i were to do my best to sort of synthesize all these thoughts uh, it might be then said that there is no one way to undergo a pilgrimage then uh, the idea based on the premise that everyone's journey is uh, essentially unique uh, and thereby resulting in a pilgrimage that looks a little different from another's. Uh, and, and this, by the way, you know, isn't to say that everything is, is relative or to promote that idea necessarily, but um, that simply by virtue of having a different personal history uh, or a background and experiences, um, uh, cultural differences, uh, is what almost uh, necessitates a different pilgrimage for each person. Um you can say maybe perhaps a quote-unquote custom fit approach to uh, the sort of things that you know would inform one's pilgrimage and the pilgrimage that one takes you know whether external and physical like James or something more internal like Alan is one that is relevant to those aspects of one's own history background experiences etc uh, it is essentially informed by those things um, and perhaps we can also say that uh, pilgrimage begets pilgrimage, uh, that one person's journey can essentially inspire others to take their own pilgrimage, uh, even as our reflections of the episodes thus far are indicative of having been inspired ourselves. Uh, I know in getting to do the interview with James that even just the, the grand idea of traveling that many miles on foot was uh, inspiration in of it itself, and, and then to know you know, what sort of things resulted uh, you know, in that stripping away of all but what is essential. Uh, that is, you know, further in inspiration to, you know, assess in our own lives, you know, what things are excess, um, the things that, you know, we're holding on to, that, the extra baggage, so to speak. Yeah, so in, in mid-summary then, uh, it's it's been it's been quite a privilege to get to speak with the guests that we've had on the show thus far and uh, and glean their insights. And so, looking forward, uh, thank you, Will. Looking forward, um, 
we we look forward to another 20 hopefully episodes um for this season uh i believe uh, sorry 10 is it yes sorry another 10 episodes um we've done 10 so far um and and just and again thinking about how we've been asking pretty much the same questions to the same two questions but to each of our guests and yet illustrating what you're saying each answer has been radically and vibrantly different and um so we look forward to hearing what the rest of our guests have to share and add to this exploration of pilgrimage and worship and um and also look forward to um preparing for next season as well um uh which will be next year and so um and then in the meantime scattering those episodes with reflections like this one so yeah. um yeah. so god willing we'll continue doing this until about november of this year yeah, with probably two more reflection episodes like this, hopefully all hands on deck in real time. Uh, but I'm sure we'll make it work one way or the other. Please do enjoy Jarrell's uh, uh, pianoing about here that you're now hearing and uh, whatever uh, insightful comments he is adding to this, which I'm sure he is. And with that, if you enjoyed our conversation, let us know by leaving a review emailing us at foreshadowmagazine at gmail.com or connecting on various social media platforms. You can also visit foreshadowmagazine.com to read new writings and listen to our conversations. There, you can sign up for a free newsletter sharing new work every week. Thanks for listening, and that's the forecast for today.